Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. He is a TV writer, producer, podcaster, and the GOAT of Twitter, as LeBron James referred to him. My guest is Josiah Johnson, at KingJosiah54. Josiah, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm good, man. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for jumping on here. Um, so I have to ask you, you've talked about how LeBron James was your favorite player, still is. Uh, what was that moment like when he first starts interacting with your account, when he follows you, and then eventually when he calls you the GOAT? That had to be crazy for you. I was a wild ass still, you know, I'll never forget it. Uh, playoffs were going on. I'm watching the game. I'm tweeting as normal. Uh, and uh, it, it was funny. Long, complicated story, but more or less, I had eaten a pastrami sandwich. Uh, stomach wasn't feeling that great, but I started to get these tweets off. So I was using the facilities. I, I was firing up some tweets. Uh, I think Bruce Brown was on the the Nuggets or the Nets at that point, and uh, taking a couple of questionable shots in the game. So threw a tweet up. Next thing I know, funny enough, so Kyle Long's another friend of mine. Kyle Long DMs me like, "Yo, I saw you got the Bron co-sign." I'm just I had no idea what he was talking about. Quickly go to LeBron's account, see it. Uh, you know, obviously just start screaming for joy. But a uh, big fan of LeBron James. Like I said, uh, been a fan my whole life. Followed him his whole career. So. For him to give me that co-sign uh, was definitely a, an important moment in my professional career. So I'm super appreciative of LeBron and got an opportunity to do some work with Spring Hill and uninterrupted his companies uh, in the aftermath of that. So just super thankful for LeBron for the opportunity and for showing some love. I feel like your account has gotten so big that there's some people out there that probably don't realize, you know, you come from a basketball family, you played at UCLA. They just know you as kind of like the meme guy or like the NBA Twitter guy. But, you know, you, you have this uh, your, your family's a basketball family. Your dad, Marcus, was a five-time NBA All-Star. His jersey's retired by the Bucks. You know, your brother played at UCLA, UCLA. You played at UCLA. How did kind of being around basketball at a young age kind of help you? I, I read that you were the ball boy, you, you know, for, the, for UCLA really early on too. So how did kind of being around basketball at such a young age help you and, and kind of figure out that you want to do something in sports? Uh, so the thing about my dad, a lot of people don't realize he was a theater arts major at UCLA. So he had an extensive background. He was doing an on-campus show while I was in college, but he was always writing scripts and, and doing a ton of acting and stuff like that. So I didn't get to see a lot of his, his pro career because I was super young. He suffered a, a tragic neck injury when he was with the Clippers, ended up coming back uh, in 89-90 with the Warriors for like 10 games, ended up getting cut, went over and played in Italy for a little bit, but his career kind of just, just ended after that. But So I was super young for those kind of early NBA experiences. My really only NBA experience was uh, when he was with the Warriors and we were living in Alameda and, uh, you know, Chris Mullen, uh, Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway, the whole TMC crew was, was super young at that point. But getting to hang out with those guys, Chris Mullen lived in the same gated community neighborhood as we did. So we got to spend a lot of time with Chris Mullen, his family. Uh, he would take us over to the gym at night to, to shag balls and rebound for me and my older brother, Chris. So that was kind of my real only NBA experience. And then obviously when he went and played in Italy, living out there for a little bit, just, just seeing what the what the game was like over there and how, how it was growing and evolving. But for the most part, in the aftermath of that, that's when he did uh, White Men Can't Jump. He did Blue Chips, started doing a bunch of acting, L.A. Law, a bunch of just random TV shows and movies and stuff. So being immersed in that world and that culture and growing up in L.A., growing up in Hollywood. And, you know, he was doing so much different stuff. One of his teammates when he was with the Clippers, Norm Nixon, Norm's wife is Debbie Allen. So Debbie Allen was the showrunner director for A Different World, which was one of my favorite shows growing up. So my dad and mom would do a ton of extra work on that show like one of the most famous episodes is the the wedding, uh, the wedding episode. So my dad is an extra in that. My mom's an extra in that. But spending so much time on movie sets around entertainment, just around the world of sports and culture and entertainment, just gave me a, a great opportunity and, and, and really motivated and helped inspire and spark 
all the stuff that I'm doing. So, you know, you, you live in L.A., uh, you're in the entertainment industry by one way or another, or you're connected to it some some form or another. So to be able to have those opportunities very early on, to be on the set of White Man Can't Jump or to help him read lines for auditions and things like that, I think really helped elevate me and put me in the position that I'm in now. I feel like it's such an advantage to know what you want to do from a young age. I've talked about that on this show, you know, learning in my early teen years, basically, that I wanted to write about sports, yourself being on movie sets and kind of seeing it at a young age, just knowing it's a possible a possible path is big. And then kind of figuring out this is what I want to hone in on, I think is huge. Um, so I want to talk about your Comedy Central show, Legends of Chamberlain Heights. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, I, I know that, you know, it was you and your, your UCLA teammates and you kind of uh, decided to write the show together. Um, how did that kind of turn into... Uh, the social media career. Uh, I I read that you kind of helped blow up the, the Twitter account for yeah. the show. Kind of, can you kind of talk about how you transitioned from that to this juggernaut on social media? So after I graduated college, wasn't good enough to go play. Had some opportunities to go overseas, but you know the, the money just wasn't worth it. And I'd see my older brother Chris, who was a national champion at UCLA and, and played all over the world. He's a lot more extroverted than me. I'm super introverted. So I just didn't didn't really see that as an opportunity. He'd be gone seven, eight months out of the year. We'd only be able to connect through email. And, you know, we'd spend the summers working out together. But at the end of every summer, he'd have to go leave to, to go to his next country to keep, you know, pursuing his dream. So when college in for me, I just decided to go start working, started working in the entertainment industry, uh, Fox Sports, NFL Network, a few other sports entertainment platforms. But all the while I was doing that, me and a couple of buddies, uh, Ike Williams and Quinn Hawking at UCLA, who were teammates, started a website called Jersey Chaser, which was kind of like an off-kilter, just sports entertainment, but from the lens of former athletes. So we were way ahead of the game on a, a lot of stuff. We were all UCLA guys, but we were big fans of Reggie Bush at that time. Didn't really understand why he got his Heisman taken for getting a bag, especially when coaches and the whole infrastructure is making so much money. So we kind of leaned and gravitated on the side of supporting athletes, but getting the jokes off, kind of creating that locker room culture when you're around a bunch of guys in the locker room. You know, as, as a lot of people know, play sports. It, it's just so funny and entertaining to hear guys talk, hear their opinions about life, all the different personalities and, and team dynamics that go on. So we basically translated that into a website called Jersey Chaser. Ended up doing some some social content, putting it out on YouTube. I think we were, we were way ahead of our time and really didn't know what we were doing at that point. You know, we would have these makeshift writers' rooms in our in a living room, just pitching jokes, pitching stories, pitching ideas, pitching content that we can make. Ended up making some stuff, uh, got the attention of, of some folks that were in the entertainment industry that were working on an animated series, uh, reached out to us. They were kind of looking for some ideas. So we basically pitched them on the idea of, you know, we used to sit on the end of the bench at UCLA during games and just the kind of shenanigans and hijinks and fun that we would have as we were watching the game, kind of knowing that we probably weren't going to play in it, but just everything centered around that and still trying to create this kind of culture of, of being legends in our own mind. So that's where, you know, the the – a theme of, of Legends of Chamberlain Heights came from, and, and we created that idea, created that project, ended up pitching Comedy Central, um, sold it in the room. Uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to link up with a, a guy by the name of Michael Starberry, who's a very close friend of mine, who's, who's since gone on to blow up in the entertainment industry. Uh, he did When They when they See Us with Ava DuVernay. Uh, he also did the Colin Kaepernick series uh, for Netflix as well, that he was a showrunner on, that he uh, gave me the chance to be a writer on as well. So once that show you know, took off, for me, it was like, you know, I was working in, in sports entertainment at that point, not making a lot of money. So I had the opportunity to go to the entertainment side, make a little bit more money, but just just see kind of just all the money that was out there and all the opportunity that was out there. So I knew I didn't want to go back uh, to doing my day job. I wanted to, to stay in that world, 
So as we started doing, I didn't really know a lot about social media at that point, but I realized that social was a great way to connect with fans, uh, boost viewership, create engagement just with the audience, seeing shows like Insecure, seeing shows like Game of Thrones, especially what they were able to do with meme culture and how they were able to transfer the show and give it a whole new life, uh, you know, on the internet with, with, with memes and fans and just the different groups and crews that would be created behind these shows. So for me, I just hit it, hit, hit the social super hard. Like I said, didn't know much about it when I started, but just, just started grinding on the uh, Legends of Chamberlain Heights social account, started learning a lot, researching, studying a lot of other accounts. And uh, the whole time I was doing it, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was, was in my ear and she's like, you're doing all this stuff for them. You're not doing it for you. You know, what happens if the show ever goes away? Didn't listen to it, really. I was just kind of locked in like, no, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep the show on the air. Unfortunately, after uh, two seasons, the show got canceled. So then after that, uh, you know, wasn't really working much, kind of had a down point in my life. Uh, was depressed, was, was struggling. So then I just kind of used social media as an outlet, as a, a means of salvation for myself, started to build my own account and grow it and just learn so much along the way and in the process. So even people now, you know, I don't, I don't believe in titles and things like that, but people call me the king of NBA Twitter or X or whatever it is now, or, yeah. you know, social guy, or whatever. For me, it was just a kind of an outlet to just, just connect and bond with people and also just get the jokes off and just share a little bit of my personality and insight. Like you said, I'm a big basketball fan, been immersed in basketball culture my whole life, but kind of view it from a different lens where I feel like there's so many accounts out there and great accounts that, take it from a super serious standpoint and everything is, you know, synergy and, you know, stats and PR and all this other stuff. And for me, like, I care about all that stuff. But for me, at the end of the day, it's kind of just being around teammates, the camaraderie, getting the jokes off, having a good time and having fun. So that's the angle that I try to approach uh, social media with. There have been a few times over the years when, you know, I've tweeted you and said, like, I would love to sit with you as you watch a game and see how the sausage is made, basically, because I think it's incredible just how quickly you get some of this stuff up and, you know, how you always have a video or a meme ready to go. Do you kind of compile those ahead of time or do you just see something and kind of make a reference in your head? Like, what's the process of coming up with one of those viral tweets? And then how quickly do you know if it's going to be a successful tweet or not? So for me, I try to just be in the moment. So I'll see a lot of different videos or photos or, or pieces of content. And I'll be able to correlate, all right, how would this work, you know, for, for an NBA game, if a, this type of moment happens in a game. But you can't really ever predict that stuff. And that's what I love about the NBA as well. It's so unpredictable. You kind of just got to live in the moment, be in the moment. But for me, it's a cool experience when I know there's millions of people around the world that are watching the same thing that I'm watching. And we're watching it in real time. And a moment happens. And, you know, there's so many talented people out there that do a lot of the same stuff that I do. So I know it's a race. So I got to be, you know, first to market with whatever's going on. So whenever I just see a moment, uh, you know, I grew up watching a lot of TV, a lot of movies, and uh, it was kind of, you know, just filtered. Uh, it was so much stuff in my brain for the longest time that I didn't have an outlet for. So now to be able to have social media, to be that creative outlet for all this amazing content that I've seen throughout my life. And I'm generally able just to watch a moment. I can correlate it to a particular TV uh, scene, movie scene, anything that, that has to do with pop culture and give it a whole new life. So, you know, for me being able to, you know, I grew up in an era when John Singleton and Ice Cube and DJ Pooh and some of these, you know, amazingly talented creatives were creating so much stuff uh, in black culture and on the black black side of entertainment that, you know, all that stuff is just stuck with me, lingered with me. So to be able to now have an outlet or resource to get that stuff out and then also realize, you know, I'm a little bit older now. So I, I tweet stuff that's for my generation, my age range, just to know how many other people watch the same stuff growing up and had those same feelings and emotions about it. Super cool to see. So, you know, I approach every game, you know, sometimes I'll have some stuff that I know may happen and just kind of waiting for that moment. But for the most part, I'm just watching it real time and then responding to whatever's going on. 
it's crazy how many accounts have kind of copied your style now or your sense of humor or, you know, try to post similar memes. Like there's so many times I'm watching games and I see on my timeline, it's like, oh, you know, that's very similar to something that you would post. Or there have been times when bigger accounts, you know, just flat out rip you off and post no. the exact same thing, which is wild to me. Uh, it's crazy how much you've kind of influenced NBA Twitter and just kind of the tone uh, in the sense of humor and stuff like that. What do you make of all these copycat accounts and, and kind of, uh how widespread it is now i mean i think that's look i think the culture that we're in especially in social media you look at a platform like tiktok where tiktok somebody does a dance and now a million other people do the same dance or somebody creates a meme or a viral moment and now a million other people copy it uh the only thing i really take issue with and when it's just like a blatant stealing like believe me we're all influenced by by videos clips in, in different moments and want to get those moments out there but like you said when i see a, a bigger account and a lot of times these accounts follow me and even more times than that, I know the people who are running these accounts and I have to, you know, see them in the streets and, you know, to see how they kind of act like the stuff they're doing is not a big deal. I really I really take offense to that and take that personally. But at the end of the game, I just love seeing people, you know, you know, get tap their creative side, try to try to get jokes off. And, and really kind of we've created this community and, it, you know, a ton of people inspire me as well. So I don't sit here and say that I'm, I'm a, the creator or forefather or any of that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you know, when somebody's blatantly kind of jacked, jacked your, your your flow or your style or your hustle. So that's what I take issue with, especially a lot of these companies. You know, when I was coming up in the game, kind of used to thumb their noses at me and, and not really have opportunities or, you know, tell me I wasn't good enough to do this, that or whatever. And now essentially the people that they've hired to be in that same position, they told me I wasn't good enough for are literally just coming, you know, and, and jacking me. So it's, it's a wild thing to see. I know I'm not the only person in the space who, who feels that way. I know a ton of other talented people. And I'm, yeah. I'm so sharp now that I see other people's stuff. And sometimes, you know, like I'll see something like, yo, I could post this and go viral, but I know it's somebody else. So I'll DM them like, yo, why don't you try it like this? Or did mm. you see this moment? I think that thing you put up would work great for that and help them out as well. Because at the end of the day, I just want to foster community. I've been uh, super blessed and fortunate to be able to be extremely successful at this and, and carve a lane and create, you know, create opportunities for myself and also create opportunities for other people. So I support everybody in the community. But, but to your point, when I see it's a bigger account and it's more of a corporate type thing, and I know they're blatantly taking it. That's the stuff that really rubs me the wrong way. Regular individuals that are trying to just make it and come up, you know, more power to them. I get it. You know, everybody's inspired by somebody. But that's really the only thing I take issue with. Like you said, a big account that generally follows me. I know the people that are the social media managers for said account. They also follow me from their personal accounts. Put some up 15, 20, 30 minutes later. They put the exact same theme up on their account. And it really is offensive when they do that and they don't even run numbers up on it. You know, it makes me feel bad. Like, <laughs> like as I ran numbers on mine, like you took my same thing, you couldn't run numbers on it. I don't know what's going on. Like maybe you just need to come to me, ask for help. That's a, that's amazing. Um, I'm curious, what do you think of the future of, you know, NBA Twitter? You mentioned now it's X, Elon Musk buys it. You know, there's a lot of people that are kind of wondering, uh, are we going to see people move to a different platform? You know, I'm I'm scared because I really went all in on Twitter. Like, I don't have much of an Instagram. I don't post on Instagram at all. I don't have much of a YouTube presence. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, I've spent so much time building up this one, uh, you know, building up accounts, one social media platform. What are your thoughts on kind of uh, everything going on with Twitter and, and the future of, you know, NBA Twitter? Well, I think it's important to diversify and I'm saying boat as you uh, I was locked in on Twitter for me Twitter was literally the best platform just for real-time engagement and, and doing all the stuff that, I, that I'm focused on but I've also learned that you know you, nothing lasts forever now and it, I knew that this day would come probably at some point you know at the height of, of Twitter I think you know NBA Twitter especially like two three years ago you know I just knew it kind of got the sense of feeling that it wouldn't last forever obviously there was a change in man management a change in direction vision 
of the platform is not even Twitter anymore. It's X. So I think a lot of us are kind of hanging on, just trying to see if it works itself out. But starting to feel a little bit like we're, we're on the Titanic right now and the band's playing and the boat's sinking and we're just kind of holding on for dear life. But, um, you know, been, been been very active on threads now, uh, been able to connect with the team over at Meta and just kind of see their vision for that platform and, and how they're trying to provide a new alternative to real-time discussion, engagement, and culture. Much like yourself, I'm not a really a big Instagram guy. I never really used that platform as much, but I think threads is now created another world and, and it's cool to be on threads and just see real discussion, engagement, less bots and trolls, which I know at some point they're kind of, you know, festering and, and move over there as well. But Twitter for me at a point got really toxic and negative and I'm just, I'm, I'm older now and I'm used to it. So I've seen all the, the death threats and negativity and all the crazy stuff that I'm sure a lot of people experience, even people who I think like, there's no way these are like the, the nicest, coolest people on the planet that still deal with that stuff. So I know that we're all not alone. We're all kind of kind of dealing with that stuff. But I think Threads has now provided a, a new outlet, new resource to create a new community. And, and it's crazy. You know, I'm friends with some people that work over there. And my initial experience is like, yeah, I mean, it's just great to post something and not get a death threat. It's great to post something and not be called a casual or told I suck or this is the worst or whatever. It seems just more community driven right now. And they're building something special over there. So I'm still going to use Twitter, but I'm definitely exploring other options. Uh, would love to see Twitter kind of return back to what it, it used to be a couple of years ago. But there was also pluses and minuses with that side of it as well. I'm sure as everybody on Twitter has dealt with a lot of negativity and bots and trolls and people hiding behind, you know, fake avies uh, saying crazy, reckless stuff. But just a part of the game. Like if you want to work in social, you want to be in this world, you got to take the good with the bad. So I'm always keeping my options open, just just looking around and exploring. But I think the one thing we have learned uh, just in even Twitter changing the X now and everything that's gone on in the past year or so is that nothing lasts forever. So you got to you got to diversify on social a little bit and kind of find other platforms that you can, you know, gel with and mesh with and, and still be able to do the same stuff that you were able to do on Twitter. Yeah, I think one of the advantages that Twitter had for so long is that it wasn't even just, you know, the players and the reporters. It was like everyone in the NBA community was on there, you know, from teams to players to reporters to family members to agents like there would be so many people contributing uh you know to the conversation and then obviously a ton of fans too but like every narrative or storyline that popped up you you saw it from a ton of different angles and it made it so cool um you know i hope that eventually one of these other platforms if it does emerge you kind of have that same thing where everyone is using it and it's not just like bits and pieces yeah. of nba twitter but you're right it has gotten pretty crazy i, I think People don't realize like how common uh, the death threat thing is. Like it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. There was one time someone, I don't think I've ever told a story on any podcast or anything like that, but uh, this is like years ago. Uh, someone posted a picture of like my front door, uh, which really wow. freaked me out. Like wow. that one was like, okay, this isn't just someone saying something like they know where I live now, which I'm very careful with that and stuff. But um, that freaks myself out and my wife out, understandably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there it's definitely gotten pretty toxic and, and yeah. rough. Um, so I'm saying, you're a good dude. There's there's no reason for anybody. It's like I post a piece of content that you don't like. Don't like it. It's fine. But like for you to wish death on my family or cancer or any of the other. It's crazy. It, just, it lets me know how delusional, how psychotic that people are out there. And for me, whenever I see that type of stuff happen I, as a preemptive measure, I always try and just figure out who this person is. And a lot of people think that they're they're slick or they're sneaky hiding behind Avi's, but they don't realize that they tweet the same way uh, behind their Avi that they do from their normal account. They misspell the same words. They use the same <laughs> sentence structure and cadence. So it makes it a lot easier, especially for somebody like me who has a unique set of skills and it's been a lot of time just researching social media. Oh, I know who this person behind this Avi is. And it's usually somebody who's bitter or jealous of me or whatever it may be. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, I know 
by and large, anybody who's going to threaten you with death is really not going to do it because they're too soft or scared to actually go through with it. Person who's going to come for you is not going to tell you they're coming, you know, more, more than not. But at the end of the day, you see it, you know, first couple hundred times, you know, it definitely will get to you and definitely it's social media, right? And we all have feelings and emotions. We're all real people. We deal with those things when we see it, but you see it enough times now and it's like, all right, I know that this, this account is just some 16-year-old kid who's in his feelings about something or emo about whatever whatever is going to go on in the fate of the world. He needs to be more concerned with his student loans uh, as opposed to what I'm <laughs> tweeting. But You're right, though. We're not me. even like polarizing accounts, really. Like, I can't imagine what it's like for people that are, you know, uh, in, in that world or, or really polarizing or tweeting crazy stuff. Like, we're just talking about basketball and having fun exactly. the other day. So it's kind of wild to see some of the stuff, but um, I do want to ask you, we'll, we'll talk about basketball here in a second and this NBA season, but at what point did you realize that this could actually be a career for you? Cause you know, obviously you were doing stuff in, and you've always done stuff in, in TV, whether it's writing, producing, now you have the podcast that you do, but you know, when did you kind of realize, Hey, social media can kind of not only open up other doors for me, but also become kind of a career and be something that is a revenue stream. So I think even before uh, LeBron co-signed, everybody kind of looks at that as like this, this seminal moment in my career. I was already doing a ton of stuff, like you mentioned, doing a ton of stuff behind the scenes. But once I started getting some branded campaigns and working with, with big time brands and influencers and accounts and just saw how, how much emphasis everybody has on social media, a lot of people don't realize when social media first started, they would just throw some some random human being on the on the account. Hey, go run the Twitter, go run the, the IG, go run the whatever. And these people didn't really know what they were doing. I was one of them. We kind of just figured it out on the fly and it was a sink or swim situation. But now that it's grown over the last five, 10 years, it's become a huge industry because literally any any product you're trying to market, promote, anything that you're trying to put out there, you need social media as a, uh, you know, people don't watch TV commercials anymore. People don't look at billboards on the street anymore as much as they used to. What really drives engagement and we've seen just the power that that social media has. I remember Back when Twitter kind of first started, uh, Chad Ochocinco, wherever he was playing at, he would, you know, hey, come to dinner, meet me for dinner, guys. And literally hundreds of people would show up. Then you had DJ Khaled with Snapchat and just what he was able to do on that side. Obviously, all the TikTok influencers and everybody on that side. But you see how real and tangible that it is and how a lot of marketers and businesses and companies now see it as a means to translate to to growth and dollars and, and viewership and all that stuff. So. It's not going anywhere. It's only getting better. It's cool to see now how many people that that I've come up with in the game that have now gone on to do amazing things like me. I'm hosting shows now working with Gilbert Arenas. That's all really a testament to everything I did on social media. I grew up in the sports entertainment side. That's where I started my professional career. It was all behind the scenes producing. Never did a ton of ton of hosting or on camera stuff, but was able to leverage the growth of my social media following and the account that I built. To, to do No Chill with Gilbert Arenas, then uh, eventually uh, turn that into Gil's Arena, a show we're doing with Underdog Fantasy, where now I get to host. We're doing two and a half hours live, four days a week. So, you know, for people who don't realize, like your average TV show, even a show like First Take Undisputed, that's three hours. That's maybe 42 to 44 minutes of actual content every hour. And they take 16 to 18 minutes of commercial break. So for that three hours, they may actually be on two. So we're on two and a half straight. We don't take any breaks. We're literally just sitting on the couch going, no commercials. Just, just locked in. So to be able to create those opportunities, have those chances, and now be able to thrive and excel in those worlds, think, you know, I, I got a ton to learn. I'm still trying to get better every day in terms of improve on, but I've been extremely successful and we get to see the results right away. But even with a show like that, my ability to be able to use social media to help promote clips, promote content, uh, do a ton of promotional stuff for Underdog Fantasy as well, is it, extremely beneficial. And, and they've showed me that. So Again, there's a lot of people in this world who may not appreciate it, respect it, or care about what's going on in the social media world. 
more power to them. But for everybody who's trying to excel in this space, realize that there's a ton of opportunities, a ton of money and a ton of financial freedom that you can create for yourself by taking this seriously, treating it like a job, working hard, and then you'll see the benefits of that. 100%. Yeah. And it's awesome to see the success that Gil's Arena has had. And I'm constantly seeing clips pop up. And I don't think that's a coincidence that uh, a lot of moments go viral. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys do a great job over there. Um, I want to ask you uh, about your time at UCLA really quick, because I did an article a few years back for Hoops Hype about the best pickup runs in the offseason. And, yep. you know, Drew League comes up, impact basketball. But by far, the most common answer was UCLA, especially like around the time you were there. You know, you'd constantly see pros, superstar players coming through. I know when you were on KG's podcast, you told the story about trying to guard him during yeah. one of those runs. Can yeah. you kind of talk, for people that maybe don't realize, can you talk about some of those UCLA runs and, and maybe, you know, share some stories from that time? So it's gone through a, a, a lot of different transitions, but it's been going on since the 60s, 70s when my dad was at UCLA. He tells stories of Will Chamberlain coming up. I think Will was in his late 40s, maybe early 50s, but coming up playing with the guys. And then after the games, they would just sit on the steps outside on campus and, and, and Wilt would just tell them all these stories and moments from the league. But so from my dad's time in the seventies through the eighties, nineties, uh, when I started playing there, uh, my older brother, Chris was already at UCLA, but Magic Johnson was handling the run at that point. So if you can imagine, especially as a big time basketball fan, being able to come up to UCLA in the summertime every day around two thirty, three o'clock and you see Magic stroll in and all these other uh, legendary NBA players, and for me, it was always cool to see guys like young Paul Pierce come through there. And then, you know, every subsequent year as his game got better and better, and his name got bigger and bigger in the league, just how he changed and seeing guys that I went to UCLA with like Jason Capono, Earl Watson, uh, you know, Jordan Farmar, Trevor Reza, guys like that, be able to come back, you know, and just every year now, you know, a guy like Russell Westbrook, who was, was uh, you know, very underrated, uh, under recruited coming out of high school. And now is an NBA Hall of Famer. So to see these guys and how their games would transition, because there'd be times when I'd be able to, you know, guard them, get with them. Then I get situations like Kevin Garnett coming through where he was out there for the whole summer. I believe I was like a freshman and sophomore in college. And now I got to try and guard KG. And yes, we're both power forwards. Basically, that's what we're listed as. But let's be honest, I have no business trying to guard that dude. So, <laughs> but just being out there, uh, Master P was, was heavy at, at another point. So I'm actually coaching the high school basketball scene now. Got to see Master P's son, who's playing over at Notre Dame High School, uh, Mercy. But, you know, CMP just, just brought back so many memories. And when he was there and he had his P. Miller merchandise that he was getting off at that point that people would see in the back of the Source magazine and stuff like that. But he would come with these big boxes. And, uh, you know, he was a predecessor to NIL. He'd come with these big boxes of P. Miller gear and let us all grab some stuff. So we were all super appreciative. You know, Master P, one of my favorite uh, musical artists, been, been able to, you know, play against him and, and see Murder and Silk the Shocker and all these other guys that would come out there and hang out as well. All the and one guys started filtering through there at one point, too. So seeing which one, some of those guys were good, like shout out uh, Escalade, rest in peace, who was Mark Jackson's uh, brother, Troy. But he would come play with us. Phenomenal basketball player, Mark Jackson, when he was on the tail end of his career. I think he was like playing with the Rockets at that point. He would come hoop with us. But just seeing all these OGs with all this wisdom and intellect. I remember one time this was. Uh, we were going to play in the NCAA tournament, I think Sweet 16. Uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Cooper, they're working out. They pull us into the locker room to give us a spirited, uh, you know, speech, cussing each other out, you know, you screaming at us, yelling at us, but trying to fire <laughs> us up. But just to be able to have those experiences. And UCLA, for my money, the, the greatest college in the world, greatest university in the world. So to be able to be in Westwood, you know, you're a stone throw away from Bel Air, Beverly Hills, the entertainment capital of the world, and spend your summertime out there 80, 85 degrees, 
and not just all the professional basketball players that came through there, all the other Olympians, you go to the track and Otto Bowen's out there working out and, you know, all these, all these random, you know, gold medalists and, and pole vaulters and, you know, javelin throwers or whatever, but just to be able to be on campus and immerse in that, that just world of success across sports was, was super motivating. And for me, I don't take that for granted. Like I said, I wasn't the greatest player at UCLA, but to have those opportunities in the summertime and the best part, no coaches, right? So we could, Go out there, you know, I don't have a coach yelling at me just to go post up or whatever. I could work on other elements of my game and do it against high-level athletes. But the thing that people don't realize when they when they watch those UCLA runs, so the pros, they're just out there to get conditioning. Yeah, They may be going 35 to 50%, right? Like if I'm playing against KG, he's going at 50%. I got to go at about 215% <laughs> just to be half as good as, as his 50%. But you know, the younger guys, they take it a lot more seriously. The older guys are out there really for conditioning to keep their games tight, work on whatever they're working on that particular summer. But just that 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 melding of just basketball players and everybody kind of just just honing in and, and UCLA becoming the epicenter of summer basketball. And even now with Rico Hines, who was my teammate at UCLA, has taken the run over, added a lot more structure to it, uh, really created a, a, a much better environment, I would say, than when we were coming up. It was a little bit more ragtag, unorganized where Rico's really come in, add a lot of structure, and it's now become the premier destination. you got teams sending their entire rosters out there to come work out with Rico, and, and Rico now coaching with the Sixers, uh, was with the Raptors previously. Uh, you know, I mean, just having a guy like that out there with, with the NBA pedigree, you know, giving game and teaching knowledge and encouraging the young UCLA guys in addition to the old NBA players and kind of how everybody just comes together to, to play is something that's truly amazing. Yeah, I've gotten like a small glimpse of it going to like impact basketball in the offseason. And, you know, back in the day, it'd be Corey Maggette, Chauncey Billups, KG sometimes, um, you know, now you know, sometimes Kyle Lowry later on, uh, DeMar DeRozan. Now you walk in, you walk in, you never know who's going to be there. Uh, and that's yeah. always fun. But, you know, I think UCLA, you, you always hear the story just, you know, of all the superstars have kind of walked through there. So I had to ask you about that. Um, transitioning to this NBA season, who were some teams that you've really enjoyed watching, you know, either teams or players that really jumped out at you so far? I mean, I think, you know, looking at what Embiid's doing, uh, building off that MVP season and now even having a better season. One of the things I think Gil took a lot of criticism for last year, he basically said if Embiid had the motor of Giannis, he could be averaging 40 points a game. Like he would be completely unstoppable. I think the Sixers adding Pat Bev and, you know, Pat Bev telling the story early on in training camp, early in the season, getting Joel to run 17s and, and really kind of focus and lock in on his conditioning. And I know uh, Embiid has done a lot of that himself as well, but just to see the way that his game has skyrocketed and improved. Obviously the Nuggets, uh, Joker, just coming off the finals MVP, that squad battling injuries with Jamal Murray and some guys early in the season, but now they're kind of bringing it together and Joker's still playing at a phenomenal level. Luka, I think, you know, if, if not for Embiid in the season he's having, Luka would be the, the surefire MVP. And just the way he's elevated his game, there was some criticism and knocks on him early in his career about not being in shape. And, uh, you know, we, I think we could all see that, the dad bod, but that was inspiring to me as well as a bigger gentleman. Like, well, I was a guy with the dad bod out there that's just cooking. But even Luka now, a, a lot healthier, a lot more in shape. So I think once Kyrie gets back out there and that squad really gets to, to come together, then the Thunder as well, man. I think, I mean, look, I can go, I can go down the list of every single team, even the Pistons who are, who, are, who are trash right now, but there's some hope and optimism for the future. With me, I always like to look at the team where they're at now and where do I see them at in the next two to five years. So the Thunder were a team a couple of years ago. I was like, look, once these guys get a little bit older, SGA, you know, Chad coming through, but just did a great job building the draft, a lot of, a lot of young talent, that they're going to be a legitimate threat in the league. And, you know, teams like that, the Timberwolves and Edwards kind of, 
becoming the superstar and really embracing that role. And I think when that uh, Gobert trade first happened, everybody was kind of scratching their heads, like, what are they going to do with these two bigs? But to see the way that Cat and Gobert played this season and Nas Reed coming off the bench, who's a, another guy, I feel like I interviewed Nas uh, a while ago, and it's basically like, you know, you're a guard trapped in a big man's body. Like you, you only, you're only, you only play center because you have to. Like, you, but you have all the skill set of a guy six five, six six, and it, it shows when he has another big man on him how he starts getting to cooking and that gets that jelly fam stuff going. Obviously, I'm a big fan of LeBron James, uh, and the Lakers have been a little, you know, stressful since winning the the NBA Cup World Championship of the world. Uh, I'm just trying to figure that out. But to see what LeBron's been able to do year 21, AD as well, and what that crew's got going on. Big fan of Zion, too, hoping Zion can get it together. A guy that you really want to see. Got the opportunity to interview him uh, at Summer League last year. He kind of just crashed the set. That was a great interview. And we were literally spur of the moment. We were at the win uh, um, doing doing the show at a Blue Wire studio. There's a big glass uh, window for anybody who's been at the win. So you can see into the lobby. He literally just walks by, looks in, sees us like, all right. And we don't know what to expect. But just a, a good dude, man. You get the opportunity to sit and talk to him for a little bit and just, just hope that he's able to figure out the Grizzlies getting job back. You know what I mean? that that it, it was tough to watch them previously, and we talked about this on the show a little bit. I just get the sense that, that you know, Jaws now led them to a 4-0 record, that they have the potential to really go on a run, and how amazing would that be, this team that everybody thought was going to be headed for the lottery now, to be able to squeak in even to the play-in, if not, you know, finishing, you know, seven or eight and getting to the – Still legitimate uh, playoffs for me, but playing, obviously. But for him to be able to do that, I think, would be incredible. Obviously, he can't win a, a, a postseason award this year because he's not going to hit that game minimum. So to be able to come out and, uh, you know, I, I have this feeling that he's going to upset somebody. You know, if they get a first-round matchup with the Timberwolves or with the Thunder, you know, all bets are off. Like, those teams, you know, ton of respect for him, what they've been able to do, but they're not very playoff experienced. So I think right. somebody like Ja – he comes in and upsets one of them. That'll be like him, you know, making his all NBA team or winning that MVP. So super excited about them, but, you know, also concerned, like look at the Suns. like, you, you know, you don't know what's going on. I think there was a lot of hype around that big three. I think they played what still a total, like 24 minutes together for this whole season. Uh, Booker been battling some injury. Uh, Bradley Bill, obviously battling the back issues. KD kind of now, you know, I think came over there thinking that he would have the opportunity to do something special in the Western Conference with that that nucleus, and they add Bradley Bill to it, and now these guys can't get healthy. But ton, tons of season left to go. So for me, just super excited about what's going on. Obviously, I got to talk about the Heat, Jaime Jaquez Jr., who I'm a big, big fan of, UCLA guy. Uh, very disappointed that the Lakers didn't take him, uh, the, the pick earlier that they had. No disrespect to Jalen Hood-Shafino, but just watching Jaime come up, uh, from a freshman all the way through his senior year at UCLA. And he's a guy, you know, looks at me deceiving. Obviously, being a, a Mexican-American, people may look at him, you know, initially write him off. Just, but to see that dude's motor, his drive, the energy he plays with, the passion he plays with, saw, saw it his whole time at UCLA. And I don't think a lot of people realize this kid was playing, you know, they go to overtime some games at UCLA. He'd play literally the whole game, wouldn't come out, never be tired, had a nose for the ball. So to see what he's doing over with the Heat right now, and, you know, getting into that rookie of the year discussion, obviously, I think it's probably Chet's to lose at this point. But just to see what's going on, obviously, Wimby, too, I think I'll, I'll leave it with that. But what Wimby's been able to come in and do, and we didn't really know what the expectations were going to be. Guy that tall, you always have to worry about just the potential for injury. You know, you knock on wood because you want to see him be able to excel and play at the highest level. But to see what he's doing now, hitting threes, guard skills, you know, shaking dudes, and, and you hope the Spurs are able to utilize him a little bit more. But 
from the good teams to the bad teams, for me, like everything kind of is cyclical and it flows in cycles. So some teams might be terrible right now, but you can see in a couple of years that they're actually building toward the future, they'll be all right. Some teams may just be bad and it is what it is, but even a team like the Magic, who for so long have just been kind of been, you know, you know, outlier, nobody really rocking with them, but see what Paolo and Franz Wagner and that crew has been able to do over there, getting them back into the scene now. So, you know, in the Celtics, even though I'm, I'm a LeBron guy and a Lakers fan by extension, uh, getting Drew Holiday, who my dad works for the Bucks, so to be able to see Drew uh, play with the Bucks, another UCLA guy, get traded to Portland, but now get a second life with Boston, and now they may, for my money, have the best starting five in the league right now. And I got to show some love to the Bucks too, Giannis and Dame. I think they're figuring it out. You know, first year head coach. I think everybody thought it was going to be a lot easier than 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 what it was going to be, but this is still the NBA. A lot of other teams got better too, but excited to see what they got going on in Milwaukee as well. Well, that was incredible. You ran through all the teams that, you know, I was going to ask you about. That was oh. perfect. Uh, you know, what a, what a great recap of the start of the season so far. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm like yourself. Like we spend so much time and I'm a big league pass guy. So, you know, I know a lot of people, they just want to watch marquee and premier teams. But I just like kind of watching young guys, seeing players develop, you know, even teams like the Rockets. Like, you know, it's like I can literally go through every team now. And it's been well, the past couple of years, probably the most parody, especially in the Western Conference. Just just it's a tough West, like for a team to win 60 games, I think we would all be impressed by that now. But yeah. there's so much fluctuation. Lakers lose a couple games. They go from the fourth seed to the ninth or tenth it's seed. Crazy. It's like it's just it's just, you know, it, it's wild to see. And now I'm looking at those 15 and, you know, all right, Blazers, Spurs, Jazz, maybe are like, you know, three teams you can you can pretty much bet. But even the Jazz can, can go on a run like but now of those other 12 teams, which 10 are getting in and there's going to be. Two teams that are going to be disappointed. We thought it was going to be the Grizzlies initially just because Jaw was gone, but the run they've been on now, they're creeping like, you know, we're, we're living in a world where potentially the Warriors, Lakers, or Suns don't end up making the playoffs. And and those squads, you know, for all my money, could, you know, could li- li- literally get to the Western Conference Finals if they do make it. So it's going to be an exciting season of basketball. I'm here for it. Yeah, we've talked about it on the show that there's so few sellers now with the play-in tournament and the parity. Like, every team's like, well, maybe we could go on a run and, and get some playoff experience for our guys. So the trade deadline comes around. You have a ton of buyers, but very few sellers. So it's yeah. an interesting time. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate this. Everyone, make sure you're following at KingJosiah54. Josiah does a fantastic job. Check out Gil's Arena. Check out all his projects. Not only follow him on Twitter, go over to Threads. Follow him on there, too. Yeah, give me some job. Threads, love. I got to get those numbers up, bro. I'm trying to support my family. Give me some <laughs> Threads, love. <laughs> I love it. Check him out on Threads. Check him out everywhere. Does a fantastic job. And if you guys want to watch more episodes of Running Up the Score, check us out on all the platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, thanks for watching.